Welcome, my friends and my listeners. Welcome back to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. Sometimes I wish I did a podcast that had more humor in it because some of these stories, and I know you must feel that way too, they're hard to hear. But I think the value from these podcasts come in learning from other people's experiences. When I have my classes, there, there comes a point in the session where I show images of normal looking people. And I say to the audience, which one of these men, if you were alone with them, would you trust? And the room always gets really quiet. And I show about six or seven slides. And usually there's one person in the room who says softly under their breath, none of them. 57% of the time when a sexual assault is committed, it's being committed by a white male. So again, he's not saying, can I do this? Is this okay? How are you feeling? He's just doing things to me. And I'm just standing there like, what's going on? One of the things that he asked me to do is watch more porn. Sadly, statistics show that every 68 seconds, a sexual assault is committed. So on average, there are about 463,634 victims of rape and sexual assault each year in the United States. The victims that are most targeted at over 54% are women between the ages of 18 and 34 years old. 28% of victims are between the ages of 35 and 64 years old. But I think the most shocking statistic of all, the one that really hits me wrong, is that eight out of 10 times when there is a sexual assault, the victim knows the attacker. That's 80%. What does that say about some of the guys that we know? Sometimes it's a close acquaintance. Sometimes it's a friend of a friend. Sometimes it's the brother of somebody that we know. And we have to ask ourselves, when we're alone with these people, whether they manipulate us to get us there or whether it's just by coincidence, which I don't believe in coincidences, we always have to ask ourselves, do we feel safe with this person when nobody else is around? My guest today is going to share her experience. She graduated from Emerson College. She's currently the voice, if you listen to baseball, for the Visalia Rawhide, which is the single-A division for the Arizona Diamondbacks. My guest today is Jill Gearing. Jill, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Barb. Tell me a little bit about your sports background. So I'm the radio broadcaster for the Visalia Rawhide. We are the single-A team of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, but I've been a part of sports my whole life. I grew up playing baseball and softball, played softball through college, and that's what really propelled my career in sports, where sports has always been a huge part of my life, my outlet, my therapy, all of that. So just working in sports kind of made made sense with my life. <laughs> okay, so you just gave it away, the word therapy. So <laughs> obviously you're on this show. Something must have happened to your in your life. 
So bring us back to a period of time where you went through an event that has caused you now in your later years to go through therapy. Mm -hmm. So I was sexually assaulted multiple times when I was 14 years old. Uh, I was 14. The man who assaulted me was 17 at the time. It happened four different times in kind of different ways. I tend to tell people that my assault is a combination of an abusive relationship and molestation. The abusive relationship part is because it was someone who I had a crush on. It was someone who knew that and they used that to take advantage of me. The molestation, I was 14. I did not understand what certain things were. Um, Oral sex, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand consent or what was supposed to be going on or not happening. So it was even though I was 14 and a little bit older when now some 14 year olds are having consensual, I say that with quotation marks, sex, um, I did not have any idea what that was at that age. Uh, let's go back to him. You said you had a crush on him. Tell us a little bit about him. What did he look like? Did he play sports? What was it about him? Why, why was there an attraction? He just had this charisma about him. I remember seeing him in the hallways. He was a junior at the time, an older junior. And I just remember thinking how cute he was. And he would kind of say hi to me a few times. Um, and at one point I was introduced to him through some of the older athletes that I knew because I played softball. I would be in the athletic training room and, you know, flirting with some of the older guys. I was 14. This is the first time that I was cute in my life. And in middle school, I went through the awkward phase and people made fun of me. And then I came to high school and people told me I was pretty and I was flabbergasted. I had no idea that I could be pretty. So I was flirting with people for the first time and they introduced me to this guy and, um, he took a liking to me, but not so much so that he was my boyfriend or anything. In fact, he would talk about other girls in front of me. Um, a classmate of mine would walk by and he said, man, she's so sexy. And I don't know if he did that on purpose. I, I haven't been able to kind of psychoanalyze that yet. But him saying that someone else was sexy made me want to be sexy in order for him to pay attention to me. Mm. That's the tough position for a 14 year old. How'd you process all of that? <laughs> I'm not sure, man. I mean, I think what I, you know, sex sells and that's what's in the news and TV shows. And I was really first kind of exposed to that in high school where, okay, there's this cute boy and I want him to pay attention to me. Well, he's paying attention to this girl and she looks like this and acts like this. So I'm going to start doing that. Um, and I think he started to realize that I was paying attention to him and he was able to take advantage of that. Mm. Okay. So you got introduced to him and then you started kind of hanging out like he was a friend and he would make those comments to you about other girls. And you kind of thought to yourself, if I act like that, if I dress like that, maybe he'll give me the same attention. Right. So we ended up, I remember having soft, we would have softball practice year round at, at high school. And I remember a softball practice was canceled or ended early. And we decided to make plans to hang out by the tennis courts. And all of a sudden, like he was kissing me and not in the cute way where it's your first kiss and this is happening, but like shoving his tongue down my throat, you know, where just really aggressive and grabbing me, putting his hands 
down my pants to, to grab my ass, things like that. And I kind of pushed him away. Didn't really want to do that. And then tennis practice ended. So that, and that abruptly ended it. Um, and he kind of said, Oh man, like they really ruined our moment. Maybe we can do this again. We can find a, a different place to do this. And I'm sitting here like, do, do what, you know, cause he never specifically said, I want to have sex with you, or I want to do this with you. He would just say, I want to spend time with you and then do all these physical things to me. So I didn't even get a chance to think, do I want to do this or not? There was never a conversation about it. The moment at the tennis courts, was that, was that your first kiss? No, that wasn't my first kiss. Um, was that your first kiss with him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, um, okay. So I so, can kind of continue it on for you. Like the first time that anything really physical, like more physical happened where he penetrated me was actually behind the softball fields. So pretty traumatic for me where all of a sudden he's kissing me and he pulls down my pants. Again, he's not saying, can I do this? Is this okay? How are you feeling? He's just doing things to me. And I'm just standing there like, what's going on? Um, All of a sudden, you know, he's shoving my head down and I'm performing oral sex to him. All of a sudden he stands me up and turns me around and he penetrates me from the back. It's, it's, again, we didn't have conversations about this. You can have consensual sex like that. If it's someone that you've had it before with, and like, you've talked about, yes, I want to be, you know, manhandled a little bit. I'm into that, but that was, it was not a conversation and you should not be doing those things at 14 without a conversation, obviously. Um, and that it was my first sexual experience, not my first kiss, but you know, the first time I, I saw a penis, the the first time that anyone had ever touched my genitals or anything like that. That was my my first time was forced. Um, so that was the first time that it happened. It continued other times, three other times, twice at the softball field and once at a public park bathroom. Um, and the only reason why it stopped wasn't because I gained the strength to leave or anything. It was because he was expelled for something else at my school. Um, he was expelled for stealing money from a teacher. And that was the only way that I was able to actually, uh, get away from him, except he did text me one other time. And I foolishly let him come to my house when my parents weren't home. Mm -hmm. And that was the time that I realized he did not actually love me because I started bleeding really badly. And he told me, and I went to the bathroom to like, you know, fix myself up. He left. And later I found a tissue underneath my bed with his semen in it. So I'm over here bleeding. If he cares about me, he's going to be concerned about my well-being, not finishing himself. So that was my breaking point moment of I'm never talking to this man again. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a lot. And I'm I'm just going back to from the tennis courts. I'm still processing that to being at the softball field. Uh, you gave quite a quite a visual. When when you went and met with him again at the softball field, and I know there's people out there that are saying, "Why did you do that, Jill?" I understand about manipulation. I, I understand about all of that. What were some of the things he said to you 
to get you to go to the softball field or to other places? The big one that always stands out is, don't you love me? I care about you. Don't you love me? This is what love is. I'm 14. I've never been in love. The only people I love are my family members and maybe some close friends. I've never been in love before. So he said those things. And again, you're talking to someone who was not cool in middle school. I was not cute. I was made fun of. Here's this attractive man. And he, again, he's 17. So he looks like a man to me. He looks like someone who's in the movie theaters that you want to be in love with and you want to love you back. And so he's standing here being like, I love you. Don't you love me? So that was the really big manipulation part for me. And then also everyone in high school thinks it's so cool to be having sex. You're this amazing person. You're, you're doing these cool things. You're being a real adult. And so it's the society that manipulated me into thinking it was okay, but also him telling me, but don't you love me? Were you concerned when he said, Hey, meet me at the softball field. Were you hesitant? A little bit. I tried to tell him, I remember telling him, I don't want to go too far this time. I remember Mm. saying that to him because I liked him kissing me. You know, you're 14. You like being kissed by a cute boy. I didn't want him to be grabbing my ass and reaching down my pants. So I tried to tell him I don't want to do anything below the waist. And he said, why? You don't like that? And I, you know, cowered and didn't respond. And we just moved on. That's a a lot for a 14 year old to process. Did you ever report what he did to you? So I didn't report for two years because I was embarrassed. I thought it was my fault. I went back, all of that, you know. Um, I actually did not report until I was about 16. I finally called the, I I never called the police. Sorry, let me me go back a little bit because there's a process for why this happened. When I was 15, I dislocated my elbow playing softball. So I was out for six months. That's my outlet. That's my therapy. When I was having a bad day or flashbacks, I went and played softball. I couldn't do that anymore. So I broke down. I had a nice boyfriend at that point, 15 and a half. I got a really nice boyfriend. Everything was consensual, but like kissing him freaked me out. And he could tell that there was something wrong. Finally told him he was the first person I ever told. He told me what happened wasn't okay. And then at some point, again, remember, I'm injured. I'm not able to play softball. I just remember all of a sudden going to the counselor's office in high school and telling them what happened. I don't remember the idea of saying, I need to go talk to someone. I didn't remember walking there. I just all of a sudden remember sitting in the chair telling them what happened. They told me we have to tell the police, which I was not ready for. I didn't know that had to happen. And then um, the police contacted me maybe a month later after it was reported and it was not a positive experience. They asked me for my story. And then the police officer at the time told me we can't arrest every boyfriend who goes further than their girlfriend wants. Wow. The only thing I was able to muster up as a response was he wasn't my boyfriend. The correct response would have been go to hell, but you know, (laughs) um, Yeah. So that was, you know, very negative experience. I did later when I was 18 or 17, I think it was, 
a different police officer contacted me and said, you know, this case is open. I just want to hear from you. And so I went and met with him um, at the police station, told him everything. And he said, what this happened, what happened to you was not okay. And I want to get this guy. And he tried. It was just four years later. I had no DNA evidence. I didn't have anything. It was going to be a he said, she said. I think he went and interrogated him and kind of scared him a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was too late. There was nothing that could have been done at that point. Wow. Uh, When did your parents catch wind of this? Obviously, you're 15 and you're meeting with police officers. Yeah, that was then. So when I wasn't going to tell my parents, I'm an only child. I like I went to Catholic school, religion. I did not want to deal with telling my parents that stuff. So unfortunately, when I told the um, therapist, I had to then tell my parents because I found out the police were going to be coming to my house at some point. (laughs) So I tell my mom and she's just sitting there like, what is going on? She she just freaked out. I think she immediately went into why is this happening to my daughter? Why is my daughter like doing things like this? Thank God my dad was out of town on business. So my mom got to tell him I didn't have to look my dad in the eyes and say these things. Um, but, you know, my my dad's first reaction was tell her we love her. So mm-hmm. my my parents have been really good with all of this. You know, I think every mother freaks out a little bit out of just pure fear and the why couldn't I protect my daughter when in reality, like no, no one could have protected me from this. You know, this is someone yeah. who had to me at school. Um, so yeah, parents were good. You know, they freaked out per usual. It's understandable, but, um, they've been really supportive. Okay. Um, that's good. And I, I love what your dad said is tell her, tell her we love her. And, and as a man, he knows that I'm sure, like, I always think all guy, all guy friends, circle of friends, they have one guy in their circle that disrespects women. I, I totally believe that. So let me get to that point with you, your new boyfriend who knows that how old was he? 15 or 16. Oh, he was actually in the same class as my, um, assailant as the guy who he actually knew him. And he told me that my assaulter talked about me in classes and I didn't know about that. And then my, my boyfriend at the time said, I remember hearing this and thinking that poor girl. So even the way he was talking about me to other people wasn't with respect. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Why do you think, whether it's it's high school boys or, or grown men, why do you think that some guys like your new boyfriend know that it's wrong and have the control not to attack a woman? And then why do you think there's some men in this world that literally make plans and think about ways that they're going to attack women. What's your thought on that? I think it's a mixture of how they were raised. You know, I don't want to go and blame these people's mothers for not having these conversations or something, but I think it's part of a society. If you if you look at porn, man, like women are just beaten in porn and that's consensual for the most part. For the porn that we know, it's supposed to be consensual with these sex workers and that's fine, but there's this porn that isn't showing the love part of sex. It's only the physical part of sex. So I think that's part of it. I think the way that the media shows women where all that women are good for are having big boobs and nice butts and pretty and skinny, but not too skinny 
it's everything about that. We are first judged on looks. And I can speak that firsthand as a woman in the broadcast industry too. So these two things, porn and media are affecting men really young. And then we aren't having these conversations to combat that. So if I have a son, I know he's going to be finding porn. I know he's going to be seeing this stuff in media. I want to have this conversation of, look, this is a thing, but consent is this. Women are more than just sex or an object or a wife or a maid. I think that it's partially the media is planting this in their head and then family members and friends need to make sure that this young man does not allow that to spread throughout the rest of his life. Mm, God, you, that's awesome. That just exactly how you said it. I absolutely love what you said and how you look at it. And I, I agree with you a lot that when people are viewing porn, they're looking at women as objects, Mm -hmm. like this is what they're for. And I don't have to ask because they're asking on when they're watching it, they're just taking it and they're just doing it. And it is, it's a huge problem and it's a huge problem for women specifically. All right. So here's a question for you. So you were manipulated at a young age and the phrase that really has stuck with you over all these years was, don't you love me? Is that right? Yep. Okay. Can you, can you see that phrase being used on a 28 year old woman or a 38 year old woman or a 58 year old woman? Can you see that phrase being used? I mean, of course, let, let, again, okay. So media makes men think women are objects. Media also makes women think that we need love and we need men to support us and take care of us. I mean, that's where abusive relationships start from, where we have to rely on these people to take care of us. So if I have a boyfriend and he says, but don't you love me? Why aren't, why aren't you cooking for me? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you giving me sex when I want to? Don't you love me? That can totally be manipulated in any situation, mm-hmm. in any age. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I always think, you know, whenever somebody goes through traumatic events, there's always the ripple effect. How has this event caused a ripple effect for you and the relationships that you've had through your years? Yeah, I've been lucky to be in three healthy relationships since my assault. Um, I'm 26 now, so it's been 12 years since my assault. Um, I still will notice it happening in my current relationship where I'll use sex negatively, where we're mad, he's mad at me, and I'm going to seduce him so he stops being mad at me. Or... um, He's mad. And I, the current guy that I'm dating, he, when he's mad, he just needs a little bit of space to calm down. I'm the opposite of why aren't you paying attention to me? Wait, don't you love me? Wait, what did I do? What can I do to make you feel better? Because that's what happened with my assaulter. When he was mad or something, he would just disappear. He would come, he would assault me and molest me and manipulate me and then disappear. And I'm sitting here thinking, did I do something wrong? So when my current relationship, when he takes, when he says, listen, I'm really angry. I'll talk to you in a little bit. I just need to calm down. And he's being good and communicating what he needs. I still freak out internally. So Mm -hmm. that's just something that I have to deal with 
every single day. Again, this, I dealt with this for 12 years. I've been to therapy for three years. I probably should go again. I need to find the time, but this is something that still affects me in a healthy and loving relationship too. Hmm. Uh, I admire on your social media, you, you label yourself as a sexual assault survivor. Why do you do that? Um, I'm in a unique situation where, you know, I'm not like the crazy name, like Aaron Andrews or some really big sports reporter, but I'm starting to gain a little bit more national attention, um, being the first woman in the California league, being the first woman to broadcast for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I want people to know that there are survivors out there everywhere. So I just think being able to be vocal coming on shows like this, posting that on social media, it just gives people this feeling of I'm not alone. Um, specifically, you know, a lot of sexual assaults aren't some guy jumping out of a bush and assaulting you. It's usually people that, you know, and people don't realize that they feel embarrassed. So I try to talk about my story as much as possible to help survivors and victims. Awesome, Jill. Awesome. Listen, you've been a fantastic guest. I know you've enlightened me, so I'm sure you have enlightened the audience. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And if anyone needs any help, I know they can reach out to you, Barb, but feel free to reach out to me. My uh, Twitter and Instagram handle is Jill Guerin. So reach out anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Jill. If you have been the victim of a sexual assault, and if you need support, please visit rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot org. Remember, one out of six women will experience sexual assault in their lifetime. Sad statistics. But that's what this podcast is for. This podcast is so that we never let our guard down and so that we learn to understand that we have to fully trust the people that we're with, especially when we're isolated. If you are enjoying the Always Bev podcast, if you find that it's educational and that it empowers you, please tell others, please tell others to follow along and take the time to give me a review or a rating. As always, I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.